John chapter 17, and we're looking this morning from verses 6 through to 8. You'll find it on page 903 in the church uh, Bibles, John chapter 17. Uh, You may remember that we're in a series in John's Gospel looking at the prayer of Jesus, and the the context is that Jesus has preached uh, this sermon, and there's a there's a gap between, in many of our experiences, between like the theory and then the experience. And so Jesus, having preached his sermon, he's now praying. It's one of the most famous prayers in the Bible. And we've seen the first few weeks looking at this, um, this passage that Jesus is focusing on the glory of God and really his own glory, for he is, of course, God. And in doing so, he's giving us great assurance because the salvation project that he is delivering for us is one that is as certain as the very glory of God. And so that gives us great assurance. Now, the, the structure of the, of the prayer, the, the focus of the prayer shifts from the first section, verses 1 to 5, which is all on the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. Now he's beginning to pray for his disciples, pray for people like you and me. And as he does so, in this first section we're looking at this morning, he's describing these disciples and their identity. So I've called this a question of identity. So chapter 17, page uh, 903 in the Church Bibles, and beginning at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. This is God's word. Go ahead and take a seat. One of the most famous brand identities in the world is Nike's logo, sometimes called the swoosh, that's a characteristic checkmark. It was first designed in 1971 by someone called Carolyn Davidson. She was a graphic uh, designer student at the time, and for her work, Uh, She charged $2 an hour for a grand total uh, for the project to create the swoosh of $35. Now some people estimate that uh, that uh, brand identity of Nike is itself worth about $13 billion. I suppose at some level we all know that identity matters who we are as individuals, who we are as an organization, uh, who we are as a country. 
And we have different identity markers, different logos, the clothes we wear, the schools we attend, kind of music we listen to. But what should be our core, real identity? It's a much vexed question today. Many people are trying to figure out who they are and what, what they should really be. And there is identity confusion, of course, in gender and sexuality. But not just in controversial areas like that. There's also a sense in which we seem to be defining ourselves increasingly by how much money we make, what kind of a car we drive. And when those things are taken away from us, we can enter into identity confusion as if our very being as a person is defined by the number in our bank account. Who, who really are we as people? How do we know? Well, here Jesus in this passage is describing the identity of his early disciples. And he's giving to us, the word gift is used over and over again for emphasis. He's giving to us an identity. Here then are three rare and precious gifts to shape your identity biblically from the example of these amazing first disciples of Jesus. The first rare and precious gift is to come home. That's really what Jesus is talking about in verse 6 there. They're no longer in the world. Uh, That is, no longer defined by the world system. Um, they've, They've come out of that and they've come home. What is more, they now have a name. The name has been manifested or revealed or in simple English, shown. The name of God, that is not just his literal name, but who he is, what he's like, what he wants. It's been shown to them. And it now defines them. They're Christians, as that word is used later in history. They're disciples of Jesus. That's who they are. What is more, they now are those who keep God's word. They're defined in terms of their behavior by what is in the Bible, by what Jesus had taught them. So their identity markers now, the name of God, no longer in the world, but now, as it were, home, and living by a set of principles and teachings that Jesus had delivered to them. That is who they are now. It's been given to them. They've come home. 
And it's a very different way of thinking about identity. We tend to think of identity as being on a voyage of self-discovery. But the Christian, the disciple of Jesus, is not on a voyage of self-discovery. The disciple of Jesus is is on a journey to become more like Jesus. Our task is not to find ourselves. Our task is to become who we were made to be. And we begin to do that when we come home. Home to the company of disciples. Home to those who are following Jesus. Home to the church. The church, of course, is the house of God, the family of God's people. Come home. Uh, today, after the 11 o'clock service, we have a visitor's lunch at 12.15. Just one way that you can begin the journey of coming home. We have membership classes that will be occurring in the near future. You can come home, and perhaps you've been a little bit on the, on the fringe of the church. You can come home. You're not really going to be able to define your spiritual identity, who you truly are as a Christian, if you're just an observer. If you think as if everything that happens in church happens on the platform, and this is where the worship is, the musicians. No, it's, it's, it's about us as a community. They came home. Would you come home? You know, there was a uh, woman uh, who ran away from home. Her family was in uh, South America. She left her parents. She went to the big city and she got lost. Her parents uh, decided that they were going to do anything they could to bring her back home. So what they did is they got a photograph of her and they copied it many, many times, the most recent picture they had of their daughter, and they put it up on every street corner, in every cafe, in every place where they could put a picture, hoping that one day she'd be walking down that street or walking into that cafe and she'd see a picture of herself staring back out of her off the wall, she'd go and pick it up and turn it around. For on the other side, they had written, wherever you are, whatever you've done, come home. That's how you're going to know who you are when you come home to the, the loving arms of your heavenly Father and the family of God. So the first rare and precious gift to discover who you truly are, to define your identity biblically after the example of these amazing early disciples of Jesus is to come home. The second rare and precious gift is to, is to know God. This is verse 7. Jesus there summarizes all that he's been uh, teaching and showing them. 
They now know, know, they now know that everything that is from God that he has been explaining to them. He's shown it to them. He's manifested it to them. They now know that everything, everything. In other words, Jesus is thinking about how the beginning of John's gospel, John describes how in the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only everything everything about God is now invested in Jesus and they they knew that they'd seen that he's describing that knowledge they now had of everything about God in Jesus and and the storyline of the Bible how the Old Testament with all its feasts and ceremonies are now all summarized and fulfilled in Jesus himself so Beginning of John's gospel, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Lamb of God, Jesus. That's what all those sacrifices are about. All the different feasts in the Old Testament. All these ceremonies structured in John's gospel around feasts. They're all pointing to Jesus. This Jesus, this the one and only who healed the sick, who raised Lazarus from the dead, who sat beside the well with the woman of Samaria and reached out to her and called her to come back home, who taught such amazing words. They seen everything now in him. They knew God. And therefore, of course, their identity begins to be shaped after that knowledge. You know, you're not going to really know who you are and who you are meant to become until you know God. And the more you know who God is, the more you'll understand who you are. This uh, was brought home to me some years ago when I was... um, living in a part of the world that was really quite dangerous. There'd been a civil war recently. Uh, There were Klashnikov gunshots, machine gun fire in the streets pretty much every night. And it was was an unnerving place to live. And the team I was um, with at the time, we were under a lot of stress. And so I wrote a letter um, to a couple of people um, asking them for their advice. And in in, in that, there was no email and the postal service didn't work. So the only way you can get a letter out of that country was to give a letter to someone who came to visit you. And then they would take it back to Europe and post it, mail it. And then the next person who came to visit you would bring in the letter in reply. And so I wrote this letter to a couple of people and then waited to hear the reply. And two letters came back for the next visitor. And it's amazing to me the kind of different replies I got. One person who, uh, who got this letter from me that sort of described the situation and was asking, you know, what, what do we do? How do we think about this? How should we think about this? What he, what, what the letter, as I opened it, was this. It was a printout of his preaching schedule. And in the top right-hand corner was written, uh, thanks, Josh, for your letter. Here's my preaching schedule. Would you please pray for me? And, of course, the message was, you know, Josh, it really isn't about you. It's actually about me. (laughs) But then the other letter I got was quite remarkable 
There was a lot of pastoral um, advice given that letter. But inside, he'd written a card, put a phrase on it that he wanted me to remember. The phrase was this. What matters is not what you feel is true about yourself at any moment, but what you know is true about God at every moment. You're defined ultimately by your creator. Your identity ultimately is in him and what he thinks of you and what he wants for you. Not what they say. What he says. And therefore, to know that, to understand that, you've got to get to know God even better. This is why we have all the sort of things we do at the church. This is why we teach the Bible. This is why we do adult communities, small groups, Bible studies for men and women during the week. We're trying to know God better and better so that we can understand who he is and who we are made to be in relationship um, with him. Do you know that in 18th century America, Christians would gather for an hour-long sermon on Sunday morning, followed by another hour-long sermon on Sunday evening, followed by a third hour-long sermon on Wednesday evening? That's how they grew in their knowledge of God. Do you know that in Calvin's Geneva, the Christians gathered for worship and extensive hour-long teaching, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and Sunday evening? If we're to know God, we're going to have to spend a lot more time getting to know him. We think sometimes, don't we, of like a Netflix binge? Maybe we need like a Bible binge. Maybe we need like a a, a four-hour session of just the Bible on a Friday night. Like we're just going to binge the Bible sometime. I don't know. But if if one of the may if if we're confused about who we are and what we're meant to be and how we're meant to live our lives, could it be because we don't really know who God is? And if we're to know who God is. We need to spend time doing that. Three rare and precious gifts to shape our identity biblically by following the extraordinary, amazing example of these early first disciples of Jesus. First, come home. Uh, Second, know God. And then third, third one is this. Be all in, be all in, committed, fully, sold out, be all in. This is what Jesus, I think, is describing here in verse 8 when he describes every kind of commitment they had made. They'd received his teaching, they'd accepted his teaching, they'd They believed it in truth, which is a phrase we don't often use anymore in the English language, beliefs in truth. What does that mean? What it means is they were assured, certain, committed. They were 
all in with it. They knew it in truth. They were certain about it. They'd accepted it. They were all in. These disciples of mine, Jesus is praying, look, look, Father, look, they're all in. They're fully committed. Of course, what's amazing about it is Jesus knew those disciples. He knew their sins. He knew that Peter was going to betray him. He knew the mistakes that they had made. He knew they were very frail. And yet, Jesus, as he's praying for his disciples, in this great high priestly prayer, as it's sometimes called, Jesus prayed then in that moment in time and as recorded in John 17 as he prays now in the, in the heavenly courts as he intercedes for his people this is what he thinks of us as people who are fully committed his people for he died for our sins rose again and by faith we are justified declared righteous and his mind we're his beloved bride and don't you therefore want to live up to that don't you therefore want to be more like that don't you therefore want to be all in say well how does that how does that happen how do I do that Uh, Here's how it happened uh, for me. I grew up in a Christian home and I was taught the Bible from a fairly early age. I first made my profession of faith at a youth camp. I was young, it was for teenagers, older teenagers and I snuck down out of bed after my bedtime to listen to this Bible talk late at night and made a profession of faith that, that evening. I sometimes like to joke that my first profession of faith was an act of rebellion. But I'm not sure I was all in. I'd made some kind of profession of faith. But was I really all in? Some years later, late at night, I was crying out to God. Sounds like someone else is crying as well. (laughs) Why haven't you forgiven me? Why haven't you forgiven me? And in a moment that I've never experienced before or since, I heard him say, I have. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, because of the atoning blood of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, If you trust him, you're righteous, 
justified, forgiven. And therefore, don't you want to be all in? Not, 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 not an observer, but a participant. Until you step all in, you're not going to be identified, defined. You've got to come home. Like This is the family of God. This is my home. You know, these are my brothers and sisters. This is, this is, this is my home. Yeah, I'm going I'm to know God. I'm not, I'm not going to be one of those people who like, you know, I, I read a blog once about God. I'm going to be one of those people who knows God. And I'm going to read those books on the bookstore. I'm going I'm to go to those Bible studies. I'm going to grow in my knowledge of God. Because when I know God, then I'll know who I am in relationship with God. And now I want to please him. And now I discover who I was meant to be. And I become more and more that person. Yeah, I'm not going to be, you know, one foot in the water, one outside the, the, the swimming pool. I'm going, to, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to be all in because this is how Jesus thinks of me. This is how he loves me. This is how he wants me. And for him, I'd do anything. I'm all in. Three rare and precious gifts to define your identity biblically from the amazing example of these first early disciples of Jesus. Come home, know God, be all in. John Newton was a slave trader. And then one day, March the 21st, 1748, The ship of which he was captain, the slave ship, hit a huge and dangerous storm. And in his alarm and fear, he cried out to God, have mercy. And hearing himself cry out to God, have mercy, so surprised was he that this hardened slave trader would ask for mercy for God he realized that God was calling him and God did indeed save him March the 21st 1748 and ever since that day on every day in his journals John Newton would mark the moment when he began to identify himself as a disciple but it took time for that identity to grow. You know, for many years, he, he remained a slave trader. And then he realized that was wrong. And he became a preacher, a pastor. He became at the forefront of the abolition movement to get rid of slave, tra- slave tra- trading. He, he wrote a pamphlet against it called On the, slave, on the African Slave Trade. And every year, March the 21st, in his journal, he memorialized that moment when he began to be identified as a disciple of Jesus. You know, the last, the last journal entry we had of his is from 1805, March the 21st, where he writes, very weak, 
hardly able to write. But on this day, I again remember. God have mercy on me. I remember with humiliation, for he knew that God needed to have mercy on him. Prayer, for he's praying for the freedom of the gospel to ring out throughout the world. And praise. For he'd come home, he knew God, and he was all in. Will that be you? Identify your life as a disciple of Jesus. Come home, know God, be all in. For as you do, you'll become what you were made to be. Our Lord God, we do pray indeed that will be true for many of us here uh, this morning. That we would be identified after your call, your commitment to us. We pray, Lord, that we would come home and be a part of this place, not merely an observer. Lord, I pray, I pray that we would be those who know you increasingly through study and prayer and commitment. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just be on the edge, but be all in. And Lord, I ask that you would raise up a generation who are defined not by their online reality, not by what culture says or what tradition says, but defined by you and what you say about them, what you believe about them, what you want for them. Just like those first amazing disciples of Jesus. For we pray it in his name. Amen.